Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tennessee football fell in line with the rest of the SEC. They're no match for Georgia. We'll see if any team is a match for Georgia. Nobody has been so far. Welcome into the Volunteer State. I'm Blake Topmeyer along with the Knoxville News Sentinels, Adam Sparks and John Adams. As we are going to look ahead to the future of, of Tennessee football, mostly in this podcast because it's Vanderbilt week and as bad as Vanderbilt is, um, it's hard to imagine Tennessee losing this game. So we don't want to dissect the ins and outs of this one. We're going to be forward thinking here for the most part. However, I do want to start with the Georgia game because we might have seen the national champion on Saturday. Maybe Georgia, of course, in its uh, highly publicized quest for a three-peat. I actually thought Georgia gave like its B effort on Saturday. I've seen Georgia play better. They were better against Ole Miss. They're pretty good. Georgia can be better than they were against Tennessee based on what I've seen this year. But that was still plenty good um, to crush Tennessee. Tennessee scored on the first play of the scrimmage and then could do nothing from there. What was your impressions of the game? And and as you sit right now, do you guys believe that uh, that Georgia would be your pick to win to win it all? Yeah, I see John's head nodding in agreement with you. Uh, you guys have seen Georgia more than I have. Uh, it's hard to believe they can play much better than that. Um, yeah, Georgia's my pick to win the national title. Um, Eli Drinkwitz at Missouri is going to get probably get my vote for SEC Coach of the Year, but Kirby Smart has made a pretty good case in my mind because the challenge he has is to get his guys up every week and then to convince them that this game this Saturday matters. And he's done a lot of mind games with his guys to do that, and it was obvious that that game at least mattered to some extent. Um, Neyland Stadium had no effect on Kirby. Uh, on Kirby's team. Um, Aside from that 75-yard touchdown at the beginning, Tennessee had no effect on Georgia. You know, I I know we'll get to the offense here in a minute, but it was startling how pedestrian Tennessee's offense was when they were trying to figure out ways to, like, pick up a third and four or a third and six and throw in a four-yard pass. And it's just to think of where this offense has been and even against Georgia last year, it, there were still moments where you thought, well, you know, they've hit a few few plays. There were no plays to be made after that first after that first Jalen Wright run the other day. And I think that speaks to just the, the gap that's grown between Kirby's Georgia team, which is built on defense primarily, and Josh Hopple's team, which is has been built on offense, and now it doesn't have that in its arsenal. Yeah, I was so impressed with uh, with George's poise, and, and you can attribute part of that to uh, Kirby, I guess. Uh, but this team, whenever it whenever it faces just the least bit of adversity, it's never faced by that opening play for Tennessee, a seventy five yard touchdown run by Jalen Wright. The crowds into the game. George just simply shrugs and goes about its business of winning another game. 
Yeah, Georgia, I think it's the fifth or sixth game in a row they've allowed a touchdown on their opening drive. So they just said, why even play defense for 10 or 12 plays or just let them score on the on the first play of, of the game and get on with it. And so it was kind of a familiar recipe really for Georgia. You know, just this team has become, you know, you mentioned Georgia Kirby smarts program hangs its hat on defense. And and that's been true. I think throughout the duration of Kirby's era, but like offensively, this is one of the best offenses in the country now. And, and Carson Beck is playing an incredibly high level. I wrote after the game that, um, uh, he deserves Heisman consideration. He doesn't have some of the gaudy numbers as like a, a Jaden Daniels or, or one of those Pac-12 quarterbacks. But the guy is is cool hand Luke. I mean, third and five for Carson Beck is a first down waiting to happen. The, he, he was he, he was sublime on third downs. Um, you know, Georgia overall was, and most of that was due to Carson Beck. I think they converted nine of 13 third downs, Carson Beck was responsible for eight of those nine, either on scrambles or on completions. He, su- he supplied eight of the nine third down conversions. And on the other side of it, and we'll get into this more to, to follow guys, but Tennessee's offense spinning its tires. And, and really, as I think about this season, I think about a couple things. One, it's a, it's a really average year for Tennessee. They don't they don't really have much of a marquee win. It would be either Texas A&M at home or a pretty mediocre Kentucky team on the road. But I think like too, this team doesn't have much of an identity. Um, and, you know, one side of the ball would step up at one point or another to win some of these games like against a Kentucky or against an A&M. But there's not that one element that you can hang your hat on every single week like you could last year for the most part with Hinton Hooker and the offense and, and some way or another, Tennessee's got to get that identity back, get that to where at least one side of the ball, you know, that group's going to show up every week. Yeah. I mean, Tennessee seemed to have an identity for a while. It was running the ball and stopping the run. Um, I think that identity held up for probably about half the season. They're among the leaders in the country, certainly the leader in the sec on both sides of the ball, rushing offense, rushing defense. I've had questions uh, a lot in my inbox from fans about like what happened to that or why is the team getting worse? It seemed like they had something early in the year, first half of the year, and then it's gone away. Um, I I challenged that a little bit. Um, You know, if you look at what Tennessee has done, September, October, November, I don't know that they've really gotten worse or lost any identity that they had or struggled to get an identity. You know, if you look in September, they – they lost to an average Florida team and they beat a bad South Carolina team in October. They beat an average A&M team at home. Um, and they beat an average Kentucky team on the road and they lost to a top 10 Alabama team in November. They, uh, got blown out by top 10 Missouri team and they got blown out by a, a number one Georgia team. They haven't gotten worse or they haven't lost their identity. They're just an average SEC team. And then when they play average teams, they they you know their best can show up what whatever their best is. When they play really good teams, that that disappears. They haven't gotten better or worse. They haven't lost their identity. They haven't failed to have an identity. They have an identity when they're playing comparable teams. And comparable teams right now are the middle of the pack or below that in the SEC. Yeah, that's that's the thing about this Tennessee se- uh, season that sticks out. 
the record of Tennessee finishes eight and four. And I think everybody believes it will, uh, with Vanderbilt coming up, uh, the record's not horrible, but when you have to look at a bad, a, a mediocre, I should say, a and M team that fired its coach or, or Kentucky, um, mediocre team as your best win, that says a lot. And I agree with Adam that once the schedule toughened, the things that Tennessee did well uh, suddenly weren't so good. And you, you think about the defense, how the how good the defense was early on, um, all the sacks, a lot of that had to do with the competition. And Tennessee's offense I, – I think even looked worse the past two weeks, not just because of its production, because of whom it was playing. Missouri hands a ball to a running back. Tennessee's supposed to be able to run the ball and stop the run. Well, Missouri's running back, Cody Schrader, rushes for 205 yards. Now that's a running game. Uh, Then you play Georgia, and as Blake pointed out, whenever Georgia needed a first down on third down, Carson Beck, really made it look easy. It was almost a foregone conclusion, whereas Tennessee struggled so to come up with those key plays. Just couldn't do it for the most part. So I really think the competition over the course of a 12-game season has given us a better indicator of the kind of team Tennessee really is. It's just a mediocre team. And really, its record's a little better than what the team is, I think. And and we know that, you know, the vast majority of this fan base wished that they got to see more of, of Nico this season, the, the five-star freshman who's who's played sparingly and uh, is, is going to take a redshirt year this year. That doesn't mean he can't play this week, but, of course, you get to play four games and, and redshirt. Now, we didn't see him against Georgia. John, you wrote a column uh, that published Sunday about it. I, I largely agreed with that. It was basically how much different would Tennessee's record have been this year had they played Nico uh, instead of Joe Milton. And, and your conclusion was basically not that much different, if 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 at all. And and I think that was a fair take. My question would be though, how far away is this offense from being high functioning again, from being reliable almost regardless of opponent? How many pieces away is Tennessee from having their offense fixed next year? Is that one piece away? Is it as simple as as sliding Nico in there and and let's get this thing rolling again? Or are they six, seven, eight pieces away? And, and maybe you got an exact number, or, or maybe maybe you got something in, in in mind here because I think it's more than one, right? I, I think I think Nico will be better next year overall. He might have some some growing pains. I think overall he will have a better season than what Joe Milton had this year. But I don't know that it's as simple as just plugging Nico in there and, and sit back and let it cook. It's uh, it's six pieces. That's the number six. <laughs> okay, very specific. I like it. The way that I look at this, uh, and if, if you go to knoxnews.com, I broke down the uh, 17 seniors that Tennessee has that will have to choose whether or not they're coming back. They have a COVID year. They have an extra year of eligibility. So there are 17 guys that are listed as seniors that can come back next year. Um, four of them are offensive linemen. Brew McCoy is a wide receiver. Jabari Small, the running back, all those guys. The rest of them are on the defensive side. We can talk about in a different episode. Um, you know, uh, Brew McCoy, I don't think he'll come back, but we'll see. Jabari Small may come back. 
of the four offensive linemen. Um, you know, uh, I don't know, maybe a couple of them um, could come back, and I'm talking about four four starters. So here's where I get to the number of six. I think they're going to need two offensive linemen in the transfer portal, minimum of two. I'm just going to I'm going to say a, a minimum of two offensive linemen that will need to start. I don't mean just sign a guy and have him for depth. I mean two legitimate good starters in the transfer portal on the offensive line. They're going to need a minimum of one tight end in the transfer portal that will be able to come in and start and, and make an impact. Um, they will need a playmaking wide receiver in the transfer portal. Um, and again, I don't mean like a Dante Thornton type this year that he comes in and he's a backup and he plays a little. And when somebody gets hurt, he, you know, he makes a few catches or drops a few balls or growing pains. I don't mean that. I mean, a guy that will come in like Brew McCoy did a couple of years ago, like maybe Javante Payton did a couple of years ago or Bayless Jones Jr. A transfer that will come in and start and make an impact. A guy that, uh, in SEC games, the other team has to has to pay attention to. So two offensive linemen, one tight end, one wide receiver. Those are all in the transfer portal. Uh, that's four on my list of six. Number five is Nico has to be a hit. Um, you have to have more dynamic quarterback play. Joe Milton uh, has not been awful. Joe Milton has been uh, Joe Joe Milton has operated the offense. He hasn't made plays in the offense. He's played the position. He has not made plays. That's the difference. You have to have a quarterback that makes plays. And Nico has the skill set to do that. Um, he can run it a little bit. He can scramble. He can get out of the pocket and do some things. Um, he can throw it downfield. Hopefully he will be more accurate than, than Joe Milton has been at times this year. So that's five. That's four guys in the portal. That's Nico. And my number six is coaching. There has to be something changed in terms of play calling, play design, game planning. I'm not saying fire Joey Halsley as the offensive coordinator. I'm not saying demote Joey Halsley and bring in a new OC. I'm not. I, I'm saying, but I'm saying something has to change, and we don't even know what that change is because um, Josh Hopple and Joey Halsley and this whole staff—they're very secretive about how they do the play calling. Is Josh Heupel calling 80% of the plays and Joey Halsey 20? Is it is it 60-40? Does it change game to game? Um, you know, they have this uh, – they, they like to say that their play calling and play design is a, and game playing is collaborative. Um, so you've got different voices in there. Whatever those voices are and whatever the percentage of those voices, it has to change um, because what they're doing right now isn't working. I understand that they need more pieces on offense personnel-wise. They need more talent over there. Um, but they have not made adjustments during the game to make me think that they can be an elite SEC team. And I think Josh Hopple knows that. His post-game press conference the other day after the Georgia game, um, he has said almost nothing about the defense. Everything was almost a tone of embarrassment with his offense because every year he's been a head coach – um, he's had a top 10 offense nationally. Right now they're 49th in scoring. Last year they were first. Two years ago they were seventh. Right now they're 49th. Um, and he's, been, again, been in the top 10 every year. So this is strange to him. Uh, he has to get that fixed. Part of it is coaching. Part of it is players. But they're going to have the combination, have to have the combination of those, or they're not going to get back to where they were. John, what do you make of that assessment of, of what Tennessee needs to – be back firing on all cylinders in 2024 on offense. 
Boy, that's a huge challenge uh, Adams presented there. Uh, I think we, when we talk about the transfer portal, I certainly agree with the, with that. Everybody looks to the transfer portal. It's crucial to get transfers, but you got to get the right transfers. You got to get guys that, as Adam pointed out, you're not getting a guy to come in here and spell a starter every now and then. Like Donnie Thornton to me was an incredible bus to transfer from Oregon. Geez, he, it was hard for him to even get on the field that much. Uh, you needed him to come in and catch 40 balls uh, to do what Brew McCoy did, the transfer from Southern Cal. And when, of course, Brew McCoy was injured uh, and only played half the season. I do think, though, see, when I, it's hard to evaluate the play calling. It's almost to me as though Tennessee's offense and Heupel and Halsley are trying to run an offense with their left hand instead of their right one. <laughs> that they're so limited at quarterback that they can only do so much that they can't truly run the Josh Heupel system with Joe Milton at quarterback. Now that that's another issue that really falls on, uh, on Josh Heupel because he handpicked Joe Milton as a transfer from Michigan who came here in 2021. That was his guy. And he made him the starter, not once, but twice. I think he's the wrong guy for the offense, and I don't understand why Heupel thought he would be the guy. It, I don't know what he saw, but we've watched Joe Milton for an entire season of starting, and he doesn't fit this offense. I think he would be better in a different system. I don't think he'd be great, but I think he'd be better than what he is in this one. I do think Josh Heupel's confidence could return to his confidence in his play calling or Halsley's play calling or whoever's. I think that could return with a few more dynamic pieces in terms of talent. Because if you think about how they've started, like you mentioned earlier, that, that Georgia has given up a lot, a lot of touchdowns on the opening drive. Tennessee scored a lot of touchdowns on the opening drive. It's like 8 of 11 or 9 of 11 or something like that. It's because they have the right plan when they can sit and say – if we do this, that, and the other, we, we have the matchup that we want. We know what they're going to do. If you're prepared for it, or if they're prepared for it, they can scheme up a play that works despite having uh, lesser talent. It's once you get beyond that, that opening script and the players determine things, um, like Georgia did the other day, that's where, the, that, that's where there's not much to do. Um, that's where they're trying to call plays for guys that cannot outperform the opponents enough. Um, you know, if you think about Hopple's first two teams, 2021 and 2022, in the in the sort of the fog of war of the game, you could, uh, you know, you could pick out a dynamic player to get the ball to. You know, uh, Bayless Jones Jr., let's get the ball to him in space and let him do something with it. Uh, Jalen Hyde, just run a seam route, run, run something deep. Uh, let's get uh, Cedric Tillman isolated on the outside. You didn't have to overthink um, where the ball could go to because you had different options. Um, right now, I think once they get into the tempo of the game and get off that that initial script that they prepared for the whole week, then it's Jimmy's and Joe's, and they don't have they don't have enough dynamic Jimmy's and Joe's to go to. So I think they're sort of spinning their tires of where to give the ball to. If you look on the uh, the third downs the other day, uh, that's some third and mediums against Georgia where I mentioned before is like third and six, they threw a four yard pass or something like that. Um, you know, people were angry about that. I completely get it. 
But what they're doing is they're looking at one of two things. Either they're looking at man, uh, man coverage downfield and they're saying our receivers cannot beat Georgia's DBs in man coverage. So you can't throw it down the field. Um, or Georgia, as they did a lot of a lot of the time, and teams have done late in the season against Tennessee, they uh, sometimes dropped into a zone, which Missouri did that too, and they they dared Joe Milton to try to try to hit a soft spot in a zone. They didn't think he could be accurate enough, and I think Josh Hopple thinks he couldn't be accurate enough, which is why they threw short passes to Squirrel White, why they threw short passes to Dylan Sampson. They're just trying to get the ball to a playmaker in space and hope he makes somebody miss. And that's why on third and eight, they're throwing a six yard pass uh, because that's kind of all they have in the, in the tempo of everything, the high pace of everything. They're saying, who do we have that can maybe make a play? You have squirrel white, you have Dylan Sampson, you have Jalen Wright. Although I think he's going to be gone soon. He'll head to the NFL. So you have those two guys coming back uh, next year. You got to have like five of those guys. Otherwise, you're sort of running out of bullets, which is what happened to them uh, the second half of the season. A, a couple of thoughts here. One, obviously, it's an offense-themed episode, and, and maybe it doesn't need to be stated, but I, I think one of the reasons why we're focusing in so much on on the offense is like expecting Tennessee to produce a national top 10 defense with Josh Heupel as a coach. It's not going to happen. That's not been Josh Heupel's MO throughout his career and it's not going to start happening in 2024, right? The reason Tennessee had such a special year in 2022 was they had now, arguably the best, the nation's best offense in, in the country. I mean, or the best offense in the nation. And uh, certainly by, by scoring, could make that case, had the quarterback for it and, and, and hand and hooker and the whole bit. And the defense held its own enough times that where Tennessee was an, an Orange Bowl winner. And I think that is the formula for Josh Heupel, right? He's not going to suddenly wake up tomorrow and he's going to be building a, a top 10 defense and, and Tennessee is going to be winning with bully ball that that's not happening. So that's thought number one I have number two, Adam, as you were laying out your pieces that Tennessee needs um, and then you kind of slipped in there. Oh, by the way, Jalen Wright, hmm, what's happening with, with his future, but just the, the pieces that you laid out there. Uh, I'll put this bluntly. If Tennessee's success next year relies on Josh Heupel winning in the transfer portal, I don't have a lot of confidence in that because I don't have a lot of confidence in Josh Heupel's ability in the transfer portal. He's not done a very good job of it so far. Um, I don't know what would suggest that you know that that's changing. I mean, Brew McCoy was a nice piece. He added, yeah, Joe Milton came out of the transfer portal. But if we're talking about this like baseball style, like. What's Joe Milton's wins above replacement? I mean, you know, he's he's kind of a – you could pick up out uh, any other SEC quarterback and put him in this year, and I think Tennessee's record uh, would be somewhat similar uh, on average. So, I mean, you know, it, it's not been great returns so far out of the portal for the Vols the last couple of years. And I think you made some good points, Adam, when talking about what Tennessee needs in transfers. They don't just need warm bodies. They, they need some guys – that can be playmakers and you look around the conference and you're seeing other teams do this. Like, you know, Jaden Daniels at LSU, one of the Heisman front runners, he's a transfer. Cody Schrader, the SEC's rushing leader at Missouri. He's a transfer. When you look at wide receivers, I think it's someone like Trey Harris from Ole Miss, the transfer who's got over 800 wide receiving yards. Like John mentioned with Dante Thornton, like, 
they needed him to come in and catch 40 passes this year, especially with some of the injury situations they had at wide receiver. These are not, by and large, the type of guys that Tennessee's been getting out of the portal. I don't have a ton of confidence that that changes this season. Is there a reason maybe why I'm wrong and you think Tennessee can be better in the portal this time around? I don't know if you guys ever watched the movie Multiplicity. Uh, I think it was back in the 90s, the Michael Keaton movie. It was, uh, you had you had his character was the original and then he would be copied or cloned. And every time you would clone him to the next version, it would be a, a lesser version of the original. I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> and so maybe you know where I'm going here. Yeah. Last last year, Tennessee, people have asked me, obviously, to sum this up. How come it was, the offense is great last year, not as good this year. Um, there's, there's six players, I think, that uh, were NFL caliber players, either drafted or signed as unfree, undrafted free agents. Six players from last year that were all replaced, and all six of their replacements were a lesser version of them. Jalen Hyatt, Cedric Tillman, Hendon Hooker, Jerome Carvin, Princeton Fant, maybe missing somebody. Um, oh, and then I included Alex Golish was, was replaced by Joey Halsley. Every one of those guys were replaced by another guy, and none of their replacements were bad but all the replacements were lesser versions of the original. And that's why the unit is, is worse. Um, and that's, and, and I say that to get back to Blake's point about going into the transfer portal. Um, I'll be curious to see how, how Josh Hopple and the staff does in the portal, because, you know, last year they got offensive linemen. I mentioned they probably need two uh, good starters last year. They got John Campbell and, uh, from uh, Miami and they got uh, Andre Carrick from from Texas. Um, John Campbell ended up being a pretty solid SEC tackle. Andre Carrick was uh, a fill-in reserve, had to start some at guard. So they, they batted 500 with those. Uh, they got Dante Thornton at wide receiver. Missed on him, at least for what they needed him to be. Uh, they got a tight end last year, McAllen Castles. Um, kind of like Campbell, he's fine, was not as – was not as good as Princeton Fant, but he was fine. So you're you're batting 500 at best with those four guys, and you need to bat a thousand at those roughly at those same positions this year. I think with a guy like Thornton, uh, I sometimes wonder if Josh Hopper, or maybe he thought going into this year that I can take uh, anybody's leftovers or anybody's poorly used parts in another offense, and I can plug them into mine, and they're just going to work. Um, and, and after looking at what happened with Dante Thornton, I think you should rethink that. Um, you've got to get a receiver that fits your offense, that you know how to use him. I mean, they admitted that Dante Thornton, uh, halfway through the season that they had him at the wrong position. So much of what, uh, when he was limited by some injuries in the spring and fall camp, they said, you know, he can play the slot. He can play outside. He can play different places. And then when he got into the game, they played him in slot. He was uncomfortable, did not like going over the middle was uncomfortable in the space that he was in, was dropping balls. Um, and then because of the injury to Brew McCoy, they had to move him outside. And and he he had a couple pretty good games. Uh, his, last, his last catch before he had his injury was a, a deep ball touchdown pass uh, against uh, Missouri. He looked like he was coming around. Well, why did it take half a season for them to put him in the position that his bio said he should have been playing all along, which was on the outside? So I do think this staff somewhat needs to step back and say, just because we get somebody out of the portal doesn't mean it's going to work in this offense. 
And uh, and I think they're going to have to keep that in mind when they go out and try to find, again, at least a wide receiver, a couple offensive linemen, and a tight end. And they're going to have to do some things on defense too. Um, like when you were talking about the defense, I, uh, I got uh, a number of emails uh, this, this uh, weekend that just said uh, three words, fire Tim Banks the defensive coordinator. <laughs> fire everybody. Uh, fire everybody, but fire Tim Banks. I don't think Tim Banks is going to get fired, uh, and here's why. Tennessee's defense statistically has gotten better every single year. Year one, they averaged, they gave up 29 points a game. Year two, they gave up 23 points a game. Year three, they're giving up 21.8 points a game, and that may drop against Vanderbilt. They've gotten better in their scoring defense every single year. Um Josh Apple's first year, Tim Banks's first year, uh, five different teams scored 40 on Tennessee. Last year, two different teams scored 40. This year, nobody scored 40 on them. The defense is actually getting a little better, but when you don't have an offense to prop it up, uh, the defense can get exposed a little bit. And, you know, right now they're both in the 40s in terms of scoring offense, scoring defense. They're about the same. They're both okay. And that's why this team is probably going to finish 4-4 four and four in the SEC. They're never going to win with defense they're going to be good enough on defense. They're only going to win at a high level on offense. John, what do you think of Josh Heupel's ability to sort of reshape this offense, improve this offense through the transfer portal? How confident are you? Because as I said, I'm not too confident in, in that. What do you think? Well, yeah, based on the track record, I could see why you would say that. Uh, again, Dante Thornton, to me, he's not the kind of guy, he was not the kind of pickup that you in the transfer portal that you would expect to come in and just do okay or certainly not play sparingly, which he did. And he made a great catch in his last appearance, but this isn't about one catch. You, you needed to have this guy come in and be a key part of the offense. He wasn't. Uh, I might be over oversimplifying this too much, but I think so much matters with quarterback, not just in this system now, but every system. I just think if Nico is the real deal, I think all these other things might start to fall into place that whatever they don't get in the transfer portal or if the offensive line isn't as great as it was in 2022, if you got the right quarterback in there for this system, I think it could excel. But I have to admit, I was wrong going into this season. I kind of, I was so impressed with Josh Heupel's offense the first two seasons, not just last season. I thought, you just get, get any quarterback in there that he thinks fits the offense, and they're going to score a bunch of points. And I was wrong about that. But the other side of that is he didn't have the right quarterback and why he didn't realize that, that baffles me. And on John's point there, does, does the quarterback make everything better? I, I do think an extension of that is there's a lot of players that are more of a supporting cast type that are going to be coming back that I think will look a lot better if you have if you have the quarterback playing at a high level, if you can plug in a couple of those dynamic players I talked about from the portal. Because like a guy like like Squirrel White, Squirrel White is a really good slot receiver. He's not your number one receiver. He can be a really good number two receiver or a phenomenal three. But in the same way that Jalen Hyatt needed Cedric Tillman 
or Jalen Hyatt needed Brew McCoy, Squirrel White needs somebody on the outside. Um, you know, this this offensive line had had some issues this year, but they were still one of the better rushing teams in the in the country. Uh, imagine if you had more of a passing game to to pair with that. Um, you know, Chaz Nimrod, uh, who has played late in the year because of the injuries, I think he's going to be a pretty good. I think he's going to be a pretty good wide receiver. He he catches the ball in traffic. He's he's physical. Um, he's a redshirt freshman, so he's only going to get bigger and stronger. I I don't know that he's ever. He may never be an All SEC game breaking receiver. But he's going to be the best of what Ramel Keaton was, let's say, last year. That guy that can come in and really produce and have some 100-yard games if you compare him with other dynamic players. And so I think they have a lot of good pieces as supporting cast. They've just got to have some, some dudes to put them over the top. And, and this, you know, this time and place, this era of college football, you usually get those in the portal. And so they're going to have to do that. I mean, there's other ways to do it. You can develop these players, and maybe that's going to happen. Um, Tennessee has a five-star wide receiver, by the way, signing in December. And and I, I just wonder if we see a little bit of a youth movement and Nico's your quarterback and you got a five-star wide receiver and some of these other younger guys and uh, – you know, maybe they go that route. I, I think it's going to be it's going to be really interesting because December fourth, the transfer portal opens. It's going to be open for thirty days, and you're going to have guys as early as Monday, this next Monday, uh, next week after the Vandy game, where guys are going to be sitting down and telling Josh Hopple whether or not they're coming back or not. And this this team, this roster, could be transformed drastically in a matter of thirty days or less. All right, Tennessee wraps up its regular season against Vanderbilt Saturday. Adam will have the coverage. John will have the commentary at knoxnews.com. And if that produces the 8-4 and four record that we think it will, Adam tells me that the Gator Bowl is the likeliest possibility for Tennessee. We will be back to discuss that in the postseason, what the postseason looks like for the balls next week. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Volunteer State. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.